Are you attending Shop Talk? If you are, I hope that you're ready for the AI-driven future of commerce. If not, you can get ready by joining us and our friends from IM Digital, a leading retail experience agency, to learn about the future of commerce. You can join their March 18th event taking place at Shop Talk exclusively with your invite from Future Commerce. Find out more today at events.imdigital.com. Today on Visions. Now you can have a lot of these sites that look very similar, pretty high polish, that have no one that will answer the phone on the customer service team. And it's just some stuff that went through a co-packer and somebody slapped a label on it. You have a carbon footprint Mm -hmm. as a company. You also have an attention footprint. And we look at companies that have scaled up the offerings that they have, whether it be more products to browse through or more content to browse through. And that can be good for your business, but is it good for people? Welcome to Visions. Visions is an annual audiovisual trends report that covers the changes in culture and commerce. This series is meant to be a companion guide to our 100-page report. Download and follow along at visions.report. Episode 10, The Profitability of Distraction. Hi, I'm Philip. Are you listening to me? No, I mean, are you really listening? Odds are, you are likely listening to my voice right now while doing something else. You're cooking dinner or taking the dog on a walk. You're working on your three weeks overdue expenses. Why? We are always distracted. And it seems that the most successful people among us are the most distracted as well. The average millionaire today has seven streams of income. Seven. Can you name a single C-suite executive where their job is their only role? It seems that our culture has convoluted success with a plurality of distractions, all vying for the highly paid, highly influential. And the driver of this distraction? Well, for one, content and ad placements. I can pick up my phone at any time of the day and watch more content than can be consumed in a single lifetime, all of it available at my fingertips. This fight for our attention is key to understanding the modern media landscape, startup culture, capital allocation, and more importantly, and ultimately, our economic system as a whole. Today we go live to the Vision Summit to ask the question, just how profitable can distraction be? And can we claw back any semblance of mindfulness without sacrificing prosperity? This is a really interesting uh, moment in in sort of history where we uh, we have so many ways of getting people's attention. So is attention a zero-sum game? Is each person's attention completely limited to their 24 hours? Or is this something that, you know, can just be, a, you know, grow and grow and grow and expounded upon forever? I mean, the answer is a simple yes. Mike Lackman, CEO at Trade Coffee. Anything of value has to be scarce. Mm. And I think uh, that's been true. I don't think that's a novel concept. Right. Now, I think it's been easier to reach folks in more parts of their lives to grab more of that attention. But it shows just how much more fleeting 
than some of those interactions can be. We had one of the larger up days in the market earlier this week because people said, oh, consumer spending is actually up. Mm-hmm. Between the lines, mm-hmm. it was, well, the spending's up, but the number of store visits and actual items purchased is way down. Mm-hmm. Less than 12 hours later, you actually have the worst day in the market because everybody realizes that serendipitous purchasing, discretionary purchasing is going way down with all these dynamics. So I think there is more scarcity than ever, but it's also opportunity for folks that have those more durable and sustainable promises to then emerge because they're going to be able to satisfy the needs of a more discerning consumer. I would add that there is just a a general level of noise. Ben Marks, Director of Global Market Development at Shopware. And that noise, I think, also takes away from that 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 finite qual- uh, quantity of attention. So mm-hmm. as we as we start to look at how we have like, how how brands get more and more in touch with the consumers in the market out there, I think we uh, we should look at we should look at how we can declutter some of these channels. Attention footprint is something that we've talked about. Like you have a carbon footprint mm-hmm. as a company, you uh-huh. also have an attention footprint. Brian Lang co-founder at Future Commerce. We look at companies that have sort of uh, scaled up the offerings that they have, whether it be more products to browse through or more content to browse through. Um, you're just asking for more and more like time from consumers to sort, even just sort through what it is that you have. Um, that's and, and that can be uh, uh, like good for your business, but is it good for people? We talked about how it is a zero-sum game. The one thing that I think we've done, to your point, Ben, over the with with technology is allow for a lot more passive consumption or even dual consumption or more, um, and just look for other ways to add on to uh, to that level. And and to that point, like people are decreasing the amount that they sleep to continue to engage with our products, and so I'm, I'm curious, like. Do either of you engage in passive consumption or if you have kids, like how engaged are they when, when they are engaged in like, like something that they're doing or do they have um, other things that they're paying attention to at the same time? Resounding yes, of course. <laughs> it's almost, almost unavoidable. It does seem like we've gotten so accustomed to some of the advances that have happened with personal computing that – the advent of Bluetooth headphones, like we didn't really take a moment and think about that. Yeah, I heard a comedian asking with uh, Gen Z, it's like, is their intention span three seconds or four hours? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And, and wow. so when you think about something like where we are right now, so much of that is consumed passively. There is probably an element where the pie got bigger because you had this element of in-depth audio consumption. Yeah. Um, but again, in terms of the real value and the real purchasing power of, of, of normal people, there is still some real scarcity there. So it's easier yes. than ever to fill the pipe. But the question is translating that through to those rich interactions that are going to lead to an outcome that both sides want. It's probably more competitive and more scarce than it's ever been. I'm on kind of the platform side of this, but even I have to think about it, right? Because it, it really, uh, we do have to actually be intentional and, and I think kind of change the narrative or focus focus uh, and get businesses to really understand who they are, who they serve so that they can be more intentional, deliberate with their, with their messaging. And I think there's a ton of value in that as well, because you probably look more like together as a brand and you certainly, uh, it, it presents an opportunity to optimize your spend, optimize your, you know, the, everything that goes into like the creative behind these kind of engagement camp campaigns. And, you know, I, it would be interesting to see 
if consumers feel that difference and if that might not make the brand, uh, the relationship even stronger if you do that. I'd be really curious to see that studied. As we look at the the landscape of, let's just say, media companies, you know, we look at like Netflix versus, say, HBO Max, right? It's, um, Netflix has recently struggled a little bit. They've had a lot of unsubscribes. Um, and I would argue it's because actually their content is too broad and not very good. <laughs> um, and with HBO, it seems like they focused a lot more on building like quality properties, fewer better. Do you feel like that's true for retail as well? Like, is fewer better the answer or is, you know, Amazon's endless assortment, um, like, you know, is, should everyone, like, should there be a, a copying of that model? Even for brands that are like, have focused on fewer better, like Allbirds or, or whatever, as they've like moved into other categories, is that good? Is that a smart move? Or is that just another way to like grab, grab people in and pull them into the world of Allbirds? <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd say, you know, it, it can be, it can be good. Um, it can also be bad. I mean, you see, you see different brands like, you know, I'm old enough. I think of, uh, what was, what was an example that we were talking about earlier? Um, Best Buy. I'm old enough. I think of Best Buy as like my electronics retailer, but you go to Best Buy and they got stuff from all sorts of categories there now. And so, yeah, in that way, it kind of waters, waters them down and it puts them against, against, well, the Amazons. And, you know, but as a consumer, I think we could all recognize that, there are certain there are certain things that are almost uh, you know goods that are basically just a commodity. Like I know I need a, you know, a mic cable or something. I'm just going to go and probably find it on Amazon because I don't need a brand relationship. Uh, but then there are those things where I'm like, wow, I really you know I need a, a particular. I want my 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 swimsuit to be have like particular aspects mm-hmm. or something, or I think I might, I've seen, oh, I've seen that ad on Facebook and they, 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 you know, they take bottles out of the ocean and turn them into swim trunks. Great. That's what I want to go have a relationship with. And so in two very, very different modes. So I think for those companies, they need to at least understand what it is they're doing because mm-hmm. uh, anyone becoming a generalist, like you really don't want the appearance of like going up against Amazon because you're probably going to lose that battle every mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I think it, it does still come down to the promise you're trying to make, whether it matters and whether you can keep it. And so when you look at it through the lens, like we're talking about platforms and and and, and the way that we build e-commerce experiences, for a long time and still a, a lot of what you see out there is a vestige of old paper catalogs. You know, the buttons across right. the top were literally created to look like the tabs on the side of a paper book that you got in the mail because most of these websites were databases to narrow things down from a category that had a lot of the stuff. So you can find the one thing you're looking for because you go there when you need their things. And as these different kinds of platforms change, as you talk about the difference between D2C and some of these platform businesses, um, I don't think there's a right answer on which one of those it is. I think if you can't do any one of those things in a way that's really differentiated, Mm -hmm. the ability to get an assortment on a site with greater data port, uh, portability across different sellers and all those things now, like, it, yes, you can get things up on the web, but the traffic's more expensive than ever. Yeah. The durability of that traffic is such a hard proposition to deliver on. I think that's the piece that we're going to see a lot more innovation on just by the economics of how expensive the traffic's become. Two points that, I, that you made that I'm going to put together. Um, you know, one was just about how, you know, almost insidious this major this massive transformation that happened when we had 
you know, robust Bluetooth yeah. earpieces, right? And and that like you, it's one of those things that changes that really has a huge impact, but you don't even feel it because it's just so easy and obvious. And yet, a lot of uh, a lot of commerce experiences right now. I mean, people think, okay, I have my I have my online shop, and it is it is a virtualization of like walking in to walking into a market or a department store and like you've got things organized in categories and aisles and then like you put everything in a basket the the death of this this experience um of this mode of of selling things to people has been predicted for quite a long time yet we still are doing it the airpod moment in regards to this is that you do have commerce experiences leaking into other streams so you have so especially like social mm-hmm. so in in stream in stream stuff where it's just I, all i know is okay oh that thing I need that thing. I didn't know I had that problem, but now I know I have that problem. So I need that thing. So I'm going to click, I'm going to buy, and, I'm, and the, the whole purchase experience is right there. Mm-hmm. And as we see, um, as we see, well, at least in the, in the West, um, browsers uh, will be able to essentially be a, a digital proxy for our, you know, they'll, they'll have identity management built in. So I think we're going to start, that'll start opening things up and we'll start seeing more and more of these just these commerce experiences moving up away from the away from the online shop and just into the channels where where people are. I think that's what we'll see in the next couple of years. Mm. The death of the shopping cart is sort of what you're talking about. Yep. <laughs> um, the I think what's really interesting about this as well, you know, if we look at distraction, we look at like you said, like pulling people in, getting them to purchase more. Um, I think my next question is like. Should we be doing this? Like, let's say that we have incredible products, right? Mm-hmm. They're very, very good products. And when someone buys them, they actually really enjoy them. But but maybe they shouldn't have spent as much money on them as they should have. So that that is to say, like, are we're taking a bigger piece of people's wallet and time and attention then then is actually like good for them so so if you know if we're selling them things that are good products that when they buy they enjoy we get all this feedback from them like yes i absolutely love this but the rest of their life is like falling apart because they spent their time and attention on our products like is that like obviously that's not a modality that anyone of us wants to fall into but i think it is happening what do you think do you think that that we're actually people are spending more on products that have been optimized for them to the point where they're actually ignoring other things in their lives that they should be paying attention to. At the very top, dopamine is a drug that we're starting to understand as a species here. And to analogize it to what I've heard comedians on podcasts talk about, you know, to the point there was this Three, four-year window in the late 70s and the early 80s where cocaine was both very poorly understood and very prevalent and actually seen as somewhat benign Mm -hmm. and society very quickly realized that was not the case. (laughs) And a lot of things were put in place not to let that proliferate in that manner for the next 20 or 30 years and it's probably for the better. Mm -hmm. Um, We're just starting to understand – how dopamine works. Yes. And I've, uh, we've all been guilty of it. We yes. think it's a Gen Z. It's not. My retired father is like addicted to YouTube and spends way too much time. Oh, really? oh, no, it's a very human thing. Yes, absolutely. And so <laughs> like, start there and then go down into – you can look at the proliferation of sports book gambling online. I don't know how much uh, actual uh, middle-class net worth is actually tied up in those books or not. But like, th- there's, you can keep going down that ladder. And I think at the end then – 
there's actually a redeeming element where when you look at how self-reliant the rising generation is, mm-hmm. when you look at how much more financially literate the younger generation is, the trials and tribulations of this generation going through this low interest rate period, adopting Robin Hood, investing, seeing things rise and crash, Bitcoin, they're becoming really smart mm-hmm. and accountable for themselves. They have very little trust in the system. And so they've been very personally invested in making these decisions. I think you do have to usually assume consumers are pretty smart mm-hmm. and then deliver on something where they're more willing than ever to kick you to the curb reputationally or cancel your service if you really aren't holding your end of the bargain. So you're you're saying trust your consumers, let them like, don't worry about this question, really. I guess my point here is if you're yes. running a dopamine factory, if yes. you're running a sports book for gambling, or if you know, I'm running a legal but still substance that could be considered a drug and coffee, mm-hmm. you gotta decide whether you can put your head in the pillow when you when you do your business every day. Right. I feel really good about the way we run things. And we're working really hard to offset some of the parts of our industry, like there's elements of monoculture, agriculture, or carbon footprint in the mm-hmm. coffee industry that we're working to, to combat. You gotta make those decisions. Right. From there, I think you can then trust consumers within the element of how you choose to, to run your to, uh, run your life every day, run your business every day, right. to then be really brutally on top of you about whether you're delivering on the promise you've chosen to make. We look at you know Gen Z and and worry about them, but actually, I would argue that that like like Gen Xers like myself, we're probably uh, and and boomers like we're probably the poorest equipped because we didn't grow up with yeah. this with these like well tuned, well like like you know dopamine engineered UI, so that you know you just sit there and keep scrolling. I didn't even see TikTok until like this year, but somehow it's like if I know I want to kill time for like two hours and just like just let my brain go. I mean, I can do that. I can do that straight away. And I would argue that, again, you know, people, people's attention is kind of going towards these dope streams. Mm-hmm. And that's probably also why some of the uh, – some of the uh, we see the rise, the, the rise of these things as commercial channels because yeah. we know that's where the eyeballs are. And we know rather than paying all this money to try and get eyeballs to your site, you just, you just meet them in their stream. You yeah. might be paying a pretty penny for it, but you're also going to get pretty good targeting. I mean that much is true because I'm never on Instagram except when I am. Damn near every time within like, you know, three or four, you know, scrolls, there's a product there. And I'm like, that's right. I'm doing a home remodeling thing. I need that little gizmo so I can do the cutouts for the floor. So um, they know me and they know how to meet me, you know, my, but then, but then we have to step back and say, okay, are we, you know, are the products, you know, are they, are they, are they good for the world? Are they good for the consumer? And if you're, if you have, especially some kind of subscription model, are you, are you delivering, the value, um, not just for like today or getting the sales, this, you know, hitting the sales quarter, the, the quota for the for the quarter, but getting you getting you all the way like a sustainable relationship with with your customer, like that's key, and I probably really key for for subscription services. Do you think that there's going to be sort of a reaction to this attention thing? And actually, I, I do want to counterpoint you a little bit because I think um, while, yes, boomers and Gen Xers and even millennials aren't necessarily – weren't quite prepared um, for, like, devices and the type – like, time we're going to spend on them, um, Gen Z is spending the majority of their waking day on screens. 
that's not necessarily an indication that they are over investing in one channel or another. Um, but are we going to see a reaction against this? Are 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 the next generations? To your point, are they going to say this is too much? We're backing off. We're going to become luddites. <laughs> the tech and engagement genie is well out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say I would I would just maintain that I think the kids that grow up in this world, uh, I would I would be I'll put it this way I'd be interested to see you know their brain like a PET scan of their brain like while they're while they're doing stuff, you know, whether it's, whether it's social, I mean, just looking at, at in general, how their engagement affects them and, and how, um, and what that experience for them is like, I mean, you know, you'd never probably be able to find out, um, to objectively figure this out. But I, I would think that even the existence of devices, I mean, it's, it means, you know, it's all this, it's all this cumulative effect. Like if you don't have discipline as a couple in a relationship and, you know, you, you, you could, um, and I know this because I just celebrated my 14th wedding anniversary. Um, you know, it takes it takes a little work. You know, it takes a little effort, and 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 you know, you have to be intentional. Like, do you get in bed at night and just scroll social until your eyes cross and you fall asleep, or do you say, hey, no, no, I, I have I have something far more important, you know, right next to me, and I'm going to take this time. I'm going to use some discipline and put it down. I'd be really curious to see how these choices are realized and experienced and lived for for, for generationally to try to compartmentalize the moral yeah. from the commercial here Correct. for a second. Like if we just look at dopamine as a drug, yeah. prohibition is not super successful. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that we should be talking about toxifying the conversation around it. I just think we should look at it like a drug. Mm. And so, you know, we drank wine last night. That's fine. If we yeah. started today by drinking just as much of it again, it'd be a real problem. Yes. And so I think when we look at the kids we're raising or the way that we're interacting with our customers, the way we behave as individuals, I think – if you find yourself, you know, in the bathroom and using the dopamine drug on your phone, it kind of sounds like people illicitly using drugs in the bathroom 40 years ago. Whoa. Like we should be <laughs> policing ourselves where oh. are you using this as a drug and are you doing it too often? Where if you can use it responsibly, you got to be able to trust yourself to do that. Are we addicted to the dopamine hits from our device usage? The Chinese government seems to think so. Generation F, as it's called, or China's focus generation, will grow up in a world with enhanced and enforced digital blinders. China in 2020 limited the use of its TikTok competitor, Douyin, to just 40 minutes a day for children aged under 14. It also limited online gaming to just three hours per week for children aged under 18. Regulators have recognized the addictive nature of video games and social media, calling it spiritual opium. Meanwhile, the rest of the world continues to wrestle with China's other main distraction exports, Zoom and TikTok. From the Visions Report. Okay, so Mike, what does that look like for a a retailer specifically? Like, what is responsible use of dopamine with customers? And I know it's a little bit broad, but like, give me some from like from your experience. And I actually believe that you're doing a very good job of this. This is why I'm asking you. What does that look like for your customers? Uh, How are you engaging their uh, their attention? And and hitting those those neurons with dopamine, uh, and, but but doing it in a way that's like actually responsible. So I think the, um, I can think of two examples. Yeah. Um, one, when we've seen narrative 
formats for advertising work really well, whether that's influencer or podcast. It's when we've invested a lot of energy in making sure that the host understands the story we're trying to tell and why what we're doing matters to us, why we hope that they see value in what we're doing. And so when a host actually goes into their normal comedic timing or their normal kind of content rhythm versus getting the bag and doing the ad, folks respond really, really well to that. And we've seen that with really kind of emerging leading edge kind of um, uh, influencer hosts. And we've seen some really old fashioned old world media hosts mm-hmm. both do really well with that. And I think it's pretty responsible. If someone's willing to put their content reputation by saying, hey, I do a bunch of these things. This is one I really, really like. Yeah. That's a way to break through the noise and then make something that's we think really exceptional for a marginally higher cost that's something we think is a C-minus experience available to a ton of people for a good purpose. I think on the other side of that, it's real-world stuff. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that we're trying to do more aggressively is partnership-driven sampling. Because what we found is when when we've seen people, their Uncle Frank gave them a coffee gift where they got to then get it personalized and get something delivered – just by getting by really nailing that experience, even when those folks don't have a credit card on file, we don't have any proprietary information about that person, they're becoming really high quality customers with strong lifetime value anywhere from twenty to forty percent of the time. And so I think those are the places where if we're doing that responsibly and sustainably, you're willing to bank that lifetime value kind of game that you're playing as a business right. on you know what, if we can get that in front of people in the right contexts yeah. with the right kind of qualifying friction where there's some scarcity involved in that conversation, you can't just print the stuff out infinitely, right. then we can win at that because Agreed. we stand behind the product. Totally. I love that idea. Like scarcity actually allows for responsible use. Yeah. Like yeah. Because if you just offer unlimited options, you're just going to get unlimited engagement if, if someone's into what you're doing. There's a lot of parallels here, here even in the platforms world yeah, because totally. I've got a couple kinds of customers, but people, and they're trying to make a decision about the platform they're going to use. And there's an incredible amount of noise in this space in part mm. because there's a lot of money. We have a lot of ways to put stuff out there. So I think it, I think it really goes back to, you know, again, like how do we, if, if I'm going to interact and I'm going to do something in this space, why don't I, I, I try and uh, bring clarity mm-hmm. rather than, rather than commentary you know, so when when I speak, when I put when I put out a post that sort of talks about the ethics of what we do and, and like our approach and how we do it, I want that to add material value to the overall space because otherwise I'm just I'm actually it's really disrespectful because I'm just wasting people's time with with noise if I'm just talking about myself and how good I am because there's a there's always the broader context to think of. I think it's a really important point as well. Like as we go to market with products and services and platforms, um, the the specificity mm-hmm. of what you're providing needs to be high. Um, like, yes, fulfill on the promise. The quality the quality of the product needs to be there, but also you need to make sure that you're helping your consumer understand what it is that they, like, they're getting into. I think that also helps cut down on noise. So getting more personal, getting more specific right. to someone so they don't have to go through the process of figuring that out for themselves. Because okay. um, that's that is a waste of time. It's also a very delicate balance. <laughs> like, so we talk about death the shopping cart, that we're a personalization-driven company, and there's a you need a lot of humility to get this right. And we've always been on the bleeding edge between saying we don't think those kind of traditional PLP, go and shop a wall of coffee kind of experience are going to make us successful, 
and then trying to do things that are different from that that put you in that sort of Catherine Keener, 40-year-old virgin, like, can I just right. buy these shoes kind of experience? Totally. Like, well, actually, no, that's not how it works. You have to do this other thing. Yeah. Like, like, people really have to want that thing that makes you different. I was in the pet industry for seven years. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many brands were grasping at straws to say, like, well, the thing that makes us different is we have the highest alkalinity because right. and, and we got to do something really specific. Totally. You need to do something that's really specific that the market really wants. Sure, sure. sure. And there needs to be enough of a market that really wants that, that you can sustainably build those solutions for them, treat a team well, and, and invest in the business for the long run. The way to provide something that's not an intention waste is to provide something that actually makes sense for the market. So, yeah, so and there's a that, tremendous amount of ego right. involved yeah. Yeah. in trying to make the thing that you think does make you different matter. The other thing I think you do really well uh, at Trade Coffee is like, and we've been talking about this for a long time at Future Commerce, getting to know your customer upfront first. Like, you have this incredible survey coming into your site with, that's like, you know, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What are your what's your what are your actual coffee habits? We're not looking to necessarily over provide you. We're looking to hit you where where you're at. I feel like this is true for everything. Like I wish that 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 companies took the time to get to know me a little bit more, or I could even provide them information in what I th- was a was a safe what I felt like was a very safe way where they were interacting with me one on one, and I could I could control how much time I was spending on with them as a result. We, we all opt out of cookies, right? Those cookies, oftentimes the intention is to provide you with relevant experiences, yeah. which, which I get, like we're all scared of, um, of having our data sold. So I think that that's another part of this, is providing safe, like very clear-cut ways for customers to provide it's fundamentally respect for your customer, for yes. your market, and 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 also, I mean, Temet Noche. I mean, you got to know yourself as a company, right? To because you have to get in touch yes. with that humility. You have to be really self self aware in order to to offer anything, start to offer anything of value uh, to your to your customers. That's yeah. I mean, that's that's. I, I wish I wish that it were in this industry that it were easier for that business model to work. But it turns out it's actually, it's just, it's hard human work anyway. So you just have to put in the effort to do it. We'll be right back after a word from our partners. This podcast is brought to you by Shopware. Shopware is an e-commerce hub that allows you to offer relevant, compelling experiences for your consumers and your back office team. The open source core and the open commerce approach allows brands to build however they want turnkey headless PWA or any combination thereof thanks to the all sales channels welcome approach shopware creates the most engaging experiences imaginable from b2b and b2c to multi-store and guided shopping and shopware features a worldwide ecosystem of developers agencies and technology partners find out more at shopware.com fc that's shopware.com fc As brands become more and more like people, which, you know, forever, you know, corporations sort of function as like a person in some ways. Like if you, I think to both of your points, this is amazing. Like if you can, if you can't 
identify who you are as a company, I actually think that's a waste of time for your customers. Like your identity is as much a part of the relationship as their identity. Yes. Yeah. Or, or, you know, you're like, you're basically a commodity where it's like relationship doesn't matter. And they're just, I mean, that's your identity, like fulfilling on your promise. I am a commodity. Like, own it. Yep. <laughs> Amazon's own that. <laughs> they yep. get it. Yep. Um, ben, I would I'd love to hear also, like, so uh, Shopware, you're working with a ton of different realer, retailers, and yep. we just talked about the death of the shopping cart. Yep. Um, I would imagine that, you know, as they're building experiences and they're asking you questions about, okay, what can I do on your platform? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some of the, like, the ways that, like, that they want their customers to start to come engage with with their platform. We are where a lot of the the, the commerce functionality comes comes together, but we're also you know, back to like know thyself. Um, yeah, I'm not trying to be like your expert ERP. Mm-hmm. Let some let some business who's an expert ERP be that. We'll build the integration. Now, then what we have to do, though, is we have to facilitate. We do have to, like, facilitate and curate so that as merchants get to know themselves better and maybe along, you know, the agencies are usually in the, usually in the mix there, they get to know themselves better. And then that's great. They get to, you know, if, if we're doing a good job curating, like, say, okay, well, this is the, this is the kind of circumstance where you would, uh, you would probably want to use a PIM and not just rely on, on the product information management features that are that are built in, you have more complex needs. So here we've got a couple of PIM providers. But we know, but because we have a relationship with them, we also can say, well, I think for your needs, you're probably going to want to go here. Or, you know, any number of these integrations. And then that that's sort of that's all back office stuff, but that is that is that is essentially a a like a customer, uh, it's an experience for the store operators. And then um, and then that allows us to to get into why people would choose, especially a platform like ours, which really indexes on customization, like really building unique, meaningful you know, experiences. Or, you know, occasionally you don't need a unique experience. You need an experience that your consumers expect. But the difference is, uh, you know, whatever platform people are choosing, they really, really want to get on the platform that's going to allow them to have some consumer insights and allow the merchant to build experiences that are relevant for the people they're trying to serve. In some ways, it, it's all in a cycle. I think mm-hmm. I remember, let's say like 2010, 20, 2010 to 2014 era, we had teams of people mm-hmm. <laughs> filling rooms trying to make a button add a thing to yes. a cart or yeah. like get an image to load in a certain kind of device or cross brat. Like, like it was so it. hard to do these like really simple, yeah. basic yeah. things. Um, We've gotten so accustomed to it being basically um, very, very commoditized to be able to accomplish some of these yeah. web things that we're trying to do right. that I think we do need to reflect back again on as as management teams or as yeah. web teams. How do we – we know what we want to focus on for a customer. Let's yes. say that you know who your customer is. How do we make the kind of quality of, of execution and speed of iteration fast enough in the places that they can test. So like we're in a subscription world with coffee where part of the reason that we've built the capabilities the way we have them is because we need to be able to fulfill that full coffee promise for for people and standard uh, fixed interval billing apps don't work for that. So that was something we had to build so that we can continue to really quickly iterate. Mm -hmm. If we were a company built on well, we know that they would like that, but that's too complicated. It's not right. configured for – if the resistance to iteration is too high, yeah. you're never going to find those new things you want to do.
building the standard experiences got easier to build in recent times, and all e-commerce experiences as a result have started to feel basically the same. That's right. The, the, when customers go on a, on a site right now and they spend a bunch of time scrolling through and looking for the products that they want and like trying to figure out where they want to like what they want to buy, um, it's, it is actually sort of a waste of time because it got so easy for us to build experiences. We stopped focusing on things that were actually like enjoyable and like worthwhile. Um, well, I don't mean to be too judgy here, yeah. but I think, again, if you roll back 10 years, yes. you had platforms that were clearly really robust in yes. terms of the investment that went into their customer service teams, that right. went into the quality of the product itself, yes. and these really exciting web interfaces. I've never seen a website that works like this. Right. It loads really fast. Like, right. the, Well, we've taken all the visual side of does the app work, do the thumbnails look good, or yes. the reviews. We've, we've leveled the playing field there. Yes. But now you can have a lot of these sites that look very similar, pretty high polish, that have no one that will answer the phone on the customer service team. And right. it's just some stuff that went through a co-packer and somebody slapped a label on it. Totally. And like, so I think you have some pretty crappy products that have pretty decent-looking websites. Yes. And so it's harder to make your website show the value of the experience you're really bringing And that's part of the attention problem as well. Again, yeah. like maybe the experience even is really good. Like let's maybe like, you know, we're just scrolling through Instagram and everything looks amazing. Then when you actually get the product, it's actually terrible. That is another huge part of this. If you had asked me three years ago yeah. what our customer service team meant as part of our business, because yes. we're a pretty small company. We do some really complex stuff. We still have you know, about 40 people that work in the whole company of whom almost 20% of them are just talking to customers all the time. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just thought that was table stakes. Yeah. The old Tony Shea delivering happiness sort of, you know, that's just table stakes. That's no longer a differentiator. People can't believe that we answered the phone with really thoughtful, invested people who have a sense of ownership over the product and take care of their, take care of their problem. This episode is brought to you by Clayvu. Clayview captures e-commerce shoppers' intent and then leverages AI to create personalized search and discovery experiences that allow your brand to go beyond keywords typed into the search box. Clayview's end-to-end search and discovery solution is easy to configure, optimize, and maintain for all major shopping platforms in just hours. Clayview's proprietary technology is driving traffic and conversion and loyalty for over 3,000 leading global brands. Check them out today at Clayvu. That's K-L-E-V-U dot com. Visions is brought to you by Yakpo, an e-commerce marketing platform that helps online businesses win customers for life with interconnected solutions for reviews, SMS marketing, loyalty programs, and more. With Yakpo, brands like Steve Madden, Brooklinen, Quip, and Love Wellness are able to create innovative experiences that boost customer loyalty and repeat purchases. Join Yachtpo in keeping commerce on the cutting edge by downloading the Visions report today. Visit yachtpo.com slash visions. That's Y-O-T-P-O dot com slash visions. Again, I think this is absolutely part of it. Like if someone goes and they and they buy your product and then they have a like uh, an issue with it. Maybe it's even a good product, but they need to talk to someone. It's been a huge problem. Like a lot of time gets spent on reverse logistics and talking to someone that actually cares about like giving yeah. you a good experience as a, as a person, as a customer, like those types of engagements, I think there's two sides to it. One is brands don't spend enough time helping customers vet 
what they should be focused on. Like, and I think you do a really good job of that. The second side of it is the backside, where like if something does go wrong, customers have to spend an inordinate amount of time trying to actually make things right. Mm-hmm. Because there's no and and so in my view, the way to counter a lot of this and and to make sure that we're not building brands that are uh that again, while could be incredible product companies, could be incredible marketing engines, could actually be really profitable as a business, but we're getting there at the expense of the customer. Like we're getting there on uh, at the expense of uh, of like sucking our like sucking customers in to buy something and then giving them a terrible experience through like getting it turned back in and all that. Yeah. You see, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I think we've gotten way better for customers in that regard. Hmm. I think if you look at anything from the regulatory environment to just the reputational environment, negative option continuity subscriptions, really not a thing. You can't dupe people into some free crap and then make them spend a ton of money they didn't realize they were going to spend and then make them call to camp. Like Those things were so much more prevalent five, ten years ago, even 20 years ago with the CD clubs and magazines. There's a lot of fake product out there and a lot of product that's like knockoff. And a lot of time gets spent on buying these products that end up being like tossed in the garbage and not returned, or they do get returned and they get tossed in the garbage. If you look at how difficult it is to determine whether a product is good or not, it's almost as difficult for like someone to discern whether a product is legitimate, especially new products coming into the market, which people have trouble with. I hear the thread. I hear the thread you're getting at. I'm yeah. just not, I'm not following you with it. I do think people choose to buy something that does seem to have traction and reputation mm-hmm. or they choose not to. Yes. So I think there's a burden on brands that don't have any validation of their reputation that they can't just rely on decent graphics to right. confer that the way they used to. Yes. At the same time, if you look at a platform like Amazon, part of the value they add is not just the utility of it showing up. It's that consumers feel pretty good that if it has 11,000 plus 4.8 star reviews, it's probably not garbage product. It's not going to break when you open the package. And they've invested a lot in trying to make sure that ecosystem is pretty high fidelity compared to what you had at your fingertips five years ago, 10 years ago. You, do you trust stars? Do you use star ratings? It depends. I read them. Okay. Okay, you read them. Yeah, uh, so yeah. You got, uh, reading, yes. reading again, is key. Like, because that, again, that's attention. Like, that's something that customers, that's the burdens on the customer to not just look at the stars, but actually get in there and like make a judgment call. But what's the alternative? Yeah. I, I guess my point is like, what are we arguing that against? Like, are, are we are we kind of victims of our own progress here? A little bit. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Investing up front, like as brands and providing, I think, more of a gate, like provide a little friction. Before someone makes a purchase, which again, I think you do really well, like provide a little bit of like, instead of just making it as slick as possible sure. for people to go and like browse and purchase, like make sure that they have like some stopping points and checks along the way before they buy. I think that's, that actually helps and uh, cut down on like the whole cycle of like purchase and return. That goes back to the point I was making about like having a sustainable relationship right. with your customer where yes. you're not where you're not you're not hitting them with too much and then they just kind of like burn out and leave you but you you actually establish that that proper cadence. I think that is, you know, that is that is that is a good approach. I, I mean for what it's worth, I'm actually going to take it back a little bit further because on the point about 
customer support, you know, it's just it's not ideal for customers to have to escalate or, or for, for customers to need like, you know, human direct human assistance, you know, and maybe, but, but I love, but I love it too, because no matter what, what industry you're in, like anytime a customer is engaging you, I mean, that's already a good thing because, you know, they could just silently go away. Mm-hmm. So it's a time to figure out, okay, is this, is this problem happening now? Something that we could have optimized and, and, and handled proactively. Um, and then once it has happened, you know, if you handle it with, again, that same care, uh, that same respect, uh, and, and, and attention, uh, you probably will reinforce that relationship. I'm sure you've right. seen that in your business. Well, and that is where, again, like the broad brush depends on the business, right? We're a business That's that true. is built on a very low AOV and a very high number of deliveries. 20 to 30% of our customers are getting delivery every seven to 10 days. Mm. So I'm talking about a customer relationship where they're getting upwards of like 50 orders a year in a lot of cases. Probably at least once a year, you're going to hang hang on this thing. I mean, we use the mail. (laughs) Like like there's going to be things that happen, holidays, you know, blizzards, uh, you know, election crushing the mail capacity, like any number of those things are going to happen. Um, and so I think it is about like how it works for your business where to your point, you, you yeah. can't be leaning on real people to solve what you should have invested in technology for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think from a friction perspective, it does depend on the, on the nature of the, of the business model. I think for us, like we, we embrace friction in places where we feel like it's in the greater good of, um, being able to share a promise with the customer around, giving us a try, understanding that it's going to be a variety of different coffees, and then building what are likely to be really high loyalty experiences yeah. where customers are happy to be getting it. I think if you're not trying to get dozens of orders a year, yes. then friction can be antithetical to some of those goals that you're trying to achieve. Potentially, potentially, because like there are things that people buy, they only buy it once a year or less than that. And I think that actually that might be a place for higher friction because it is such a considered purchase often. Um, it depends on the industry, of course, or like what the product is. Um, but I'm going to make the case, and like this is a bold case, that mm-hmm. we need more friction apro- across most products, like almost all products. You have a, you have actually a pretty like uh, commoditized product you work with, right? But, well, no, I'll push back on you on that, okay? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think we have a commoditized product. Right. I think we're in a, in a category that has a lot of commodity. Yes. I don't think that chicken served at Danny Meyer restaurants is a commodity. No. But like chicken breasts at Costco are. Right. I, I think so there's plenty of commodity coffee and there's plenty of non-commodity right. coffee. You're in an industry that uh, people are purchasing from frequently at minimum. Sure. And you're often replacing their commodity with your product, right? So 100%. they could go buy that commo- they, as a commodity or they could go buy it from you. My my viewpoint is that, like, that's actually a pretty, like, you know, if you think about a world in which there are commodities, typically commodities, you wouldn't think of needing friction to purchase something that's a commodity or a replacement for commodity. But you've done just that. I would argue that's true for most products on Amazon. I wish there was more friction on Amazon, actually. I'm tired of slide to buy. I want more steps in the process to tell me whether or not I should buy something or not. And I think that would save people a lot more time. So my, my Amazon story, I've told this on stage a few times is like the first time, you know, one, one, one click checkout, mm-hmm. which they had that patent until you know, not too long ago, but I was just like one of my first times really kind of using Amazon going through this thing. And I like, and I was like, ah, soundbar, like I'll, uh, I, I need, I needed to get a soundbar need. Needed to get a soundbar, and uh, 
and I was like, but I but I put it put it in my cart, you know, so I could just you know review it later. But I just kind of wanted to get the ball rolling. And then like three days later, it showed up because I just it, it happened without me even thinking that like I had I what I thought I was doing in a normal cart experience. No, I just I just bought that guy right like yeah. just like that. That was kind of a it was a kind of a uh, eyebrow raising moment for me, just given the business that I've been in for so long. But Sometimes I need to go and fire off. Like I just know I know one thing, and I know what's getting where, where I want it to go. So I like the one click, the the, the low friction. That's actually a respect of my time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want to go through and compare a lot of things and and be really more intentional about it. And I'll go and I'll act more like a traditional, uh, traditional commerce website experience. So it's it's I just realized that in in some cases, you know, one you know sometimes I'm one consumer, but sometimes I want frictionless. Sometimes I, I you know I want all the resource and utility that I can have from that site. Impulse purchasing and like quick purchasing typically leads to purchases that are not desired. Ultimately, that's a bigger burden on customers than putting a little bit of like thought up front for them, like or making them think a little bit before they make the purchase. So if, if we look at through that lens, your your contention here would be as an industry. Yes. If we as an industry. Yes. Don't police ourselves better. Yes. Then we will basically have the reputation of the least common denominator that we're a part of. Correct. And it's going to be too hard for any of us to get out of that noise if holistically one in three experiences is really subpar. Correct. And the ones that are going to stand out are going to be the ones that actually engage you. Um, It's not just stand out. It's going to be a better experience. Capitalism by nature, it, it, you know, if it's unfettered, it is all-consuming. It's, right. it's, it's, literally, exactly it's right. literally what it does. Sustainable capitalism would be uh, would be a lofty a lofty goal for us to take on as an industry. But I'm uh, I, I'm I'm up for the challenge. I'm kind of curious for the reactions to this. I, I think it's healthy to feel haunted by a sense of servant leadership for your customers and for your teams. I think employees have never had more options about where they could dedicate their time. Uh, Customers have never had harder choices to make about what they can do with dollars that are harder to get and that get them less far. And so I think without debating the morality of whether they ought to buy things on impulse, if you're okay with the idea that everybody at every rung of society deserves to have something really nice, then you have the opportunity to be able to provide them some delight by getting something that's just fucking great when they really want it. And if you can do those things well with a sense of service to those people, to be able to keep promises to those entities, those connections that you have, your partners commercially, your employees, your customers, you can probably make that pretty sustainable. To your point, if it's that you're able to exploit arbitrage and get that click done and then try to kind of look at the bits and bytes of, uh, you know, getting a you know, bidding on a certain level a certain time of day, those are the things that are going to be the most openly exploited. And the best solution to that is more and more people innovating higher quality experiences to drown that out. The Visions Podcast is brought to you by Future Commerce. You can find more episodes of this podcast and all Future Commerce properties at futurecommerce.fm. Download our 100-page companion guide on cultural and consumer trends by visiting visions.report. That's visions.report. That's visions.report.